Welcome back. It's that time of the week. It's time for another episode of The Secret Diaries of a Gay Gynecologist in Paris, a memoir. Yes, you heard right, a memoir by Rafael Herrero, MD, PhD. The Secret Diaries of a Gay Gynecologist in Paris Caution! May Contain Adult Language Chapter 19 At the Medical Library Early one Saturday morning, I stepped out of the metro stop at Odeon on my way to the medical school library en rue l'école de médecine, and a woman crashed into me. My folder went flying. I'm so sorry, I said instinctively, but the woman was already too far to hear. Like a true Parisian, she'd probably said pardon, but hadn't bothered to look back. I bent down to pick up my papers and noticed two young men with disheveled hair twaddling outside an expensive-looking café. I'd gotten off one stop too early. I was in front of the Café des Deux Magots, where the percolating intellectuals of yesteryear had been replaced by American tourists and the occasional movie star. One of the two men was wearing a speckled, a sallow t-shirt that said, Nozi, and the other a fiery red one screaming, I bitch, therefore I am. They ignored me on the ground, gathering my belongings, and walked away. It was a pleasant moment, though. There was a thin woman with a magnificent voice belting out a song from Starmania, a musical that, despite my claims to optimism, I had fallen in love with. It went, M'étendre sur l'asphalte et me laisser mourir. Venez pas me secourir. Venez plutôt m'abattre. And the translation is, I want to lie down on the asphalt and let myself die. Don't bother saving me. Instead, finish me off. At destination, with just one step into a neoclassical building marked Université René Descartes, the busy city disappeared behind me. I was engulfed by an enormous, echoey hall with professors, secretaries, and students rushing about, unintelligible murmurs and shoes on marble floor bouncing off its walls and ceiling. In their activity, everyone ignored a breathtaking Art Nouveau statue at the end of the hall, a naked woman removing her clothes with an ormolu plaque at her white marble feet reading, Nature unveiling herself before science. Mesmerized, I trudged up the stairs that wrapped around it to the first floor. My legs were heavy, probably because I'd been on call several nights the previous week, but I blamed it on last night's dinner with Yvonne and Jean-Luc. After they'd left, I'd stayed up several hours cracking French grammar books. Today, I'd be catching up with French medical books. I had so many things to look up. Expected date of delivery, definition of term, types of forceps, classification of perineal tears, treatment of flu during pregnancy. The French way. A curious feeling of awe always possessed me each time I came to this library. At the top of the stairs, the entrance to the largest medical bibliothèque in France was a small wooden and glass cabin, and although there were two windows marked Entrée and Sortie, it was manned by only one woman. Behind her compartment was a narrow passage 
only large enough for one person, separating the two sections of the Athenaeum. On the right, an enormous reading room, shelves crammed with books, hardly a vacant seat, heads buried beneath early-century reading lamps. On the left, several levels, all equally wood-paneled, where one could order famous and rare medical journals from the four corners of the world and view recorded operations, conferences, and new medical techniques. The only way to get in or out of the library was through one of the doors on each side of the woman's compartment. Gates, she kept a close eye on at all times. Like a soldier at Checkpoint Charlie during the Cold War, she seized my backpack and I surrendered my ID. She inspected my bag while I filled out a carbon copying form. I declared which section I intended to visit. I told her that I also wanted to consult magazines during my visit, so she gave me five white cards, and with a voice like a recording on an answering machine, she said, You can consult only five magazines at a time. For every medical review you consult, you will get one red card. When you return it, you will get one blue card. You cannot leave the library unless you give me back five blue cards. And then she turned 45 degrees and said, Next. I stepped into the library and suddenly felt Lilliputian. A sea of human heads enclosed by infinite walls of books, each one a tower of Babel. Like every Saturday morning, countless students had woken up early to start their weekend in this impressive but hushed citadel of knowledge in the heart of the Quartier Latin, the Latin Quarter. I took a deep breath. The wooden stairs creaked as I climbed to one of the many different levels. My first task was to find a good French medical dictionary. Second, a standard textbook on obstetrics written by a Frenchman. According to Dr. Dubois, le Dr. Dubois, the attending I'd substituted for, the Bible of obstetrics in France was Merger's Précis d'Obstétrique. He'd been quite shocked that I'd never heard of it. How could you possibly learn obstetrics without one? He said, eyes boggling. Yes, of course, the Merger, the Merger. It seemed one had to pronounce it as if holy water were coming out of one's mouth, was the first textbook I'd hunt down. Finding it, I pulled it out from the crowded shelves. It looked like Christopher Columbus's personal diary, an incunabulum, thick, cracking, yellow pages with old-fashioned drawings, and a copyright from 1957. I pulled it out from the crowded shelves. It looked like Christopher Columbus's personal diary, an incunabulum, thick, cracking yellow pages with old-fashioned drawings, and a copyright from 1957. The book next to it looked much more modern and appealing, Lanzac's Obstétrique, shiny black. I took it too. I culled about five books. I loved the glossy red cover of the French medical dictionary, Garnier de la Mar. I definitely had to buy a copy for myself, but with the exorbitant prices of medical books and my measly FFE salary, I couldn't afford all the books I needed. Which one should I start with? Finally, finding a free spot for my small tower of books, I sat down. Excited and intimidated, I passed to phase two. I'd look up spasmophilie, the condition of the trembling chihuahua. If there were indeed common diseases I'd never even heard of before, like my experiences at Montrouge were showing me, as a doctor, I had reasons to worry. 
Spasmophilia had me more than intrigued. I'd looked it up at home in my venerated Harrison's Principles of Internal Medicine and had found no mention of it, nor in any of the other English-language medical textbooks I had. How could this be? My finger suddenly stopped. There it was, in the French dictionary, right after spasmolytique. Spasmophilia. Spasmophilie had been described by a Frenchman, Professor Justin Besançon, in 1950. I had found it, but it was crushed. I should have at least heard of the disorder before. What type of doctor was I? For years, that feeling of failure never left me, haunting me until I finally came across a French article that confessed spasmophilia was a condition described only in France and was not recognized by standard medical classifications. The ailment corresponded to panic attacks in the United States or un ataque de histeria in Spain. In those countries, some used relaxation techniques, others breathed into brown paper bags, but in France, there was the power of swallowing magnesium tablets, six a day for months. I cursed Professor Justin Besançon. Probably he'd coined the condition to make a name for himself and had created another cause of anguish for medical students like me. The obstetrics textbooks I consulted were fascinating, but had no palpable indication that they were based on medical evidence, just one affirmation after another, with no references to scientific publications supporting the assertions. The professor's name on the cover was apparently enough to validate everything said inside. In some cases, the French used quite surprising classifications, codifications I'd never come across before, although I admit my training had always been either in English or in Spanish. But still, I thought, perplexed, I've constantly read publications from authors in Italy or, or Turkey or, or Israel, I, I mean, even Japan. But true, all of these authors had published in English. In Spain, most of the medical publications we'd consulted for our difficult cases were in English, and everyone accepted that if you wanted to be taken seriously, you had to publish in the English language. That day, at the library in Odeon, dans le cœur du quartier latin, the Latin Quarter, it dawned on me that for all my previous years of training, I'd been shielded from France's influence by the French résistance to the worldwide trend of publishing in a language that was not their own. My stomach growling, I decided to look up Bouin before calling it a day, the funky fluorescent yellow liquid we'd splash our surgical specimens in. It was a pathology laboratory fixative, and it too had been described by a Frenchman, Paul Bouin, although a bit earlier, in 1897. But I couldn't find why in France they used it instead of formaldehyde, the transparent fluid used by the rest of the world. I loved its nifty hue, but what made it better? I left at the library without an answer that day. I had no idea that just a few laters it would be removed from most laboratories in France. I've inquired why so, and although most pathologists tell me that it's been abandoned because it's no good for immunohistochemical assays, I think it's worth noting that when it crystallizes, it's highly explosive. (laughs) 
The following Monday, at the secretary's main office at Montrouge Maternity Hospital, I shoved a heap of unsigned papers back into my mailbox. I don't care how much work I have to do, I said to myself. I need a break and some coffee. The vending machine's coffee tasted like hazardous waste, and the coffee in the midwife's break room was simmering hot petrol. Besides, I have the inkling midwives don't appreciate the company of anyone who isn't a midwife. I'll just go to the OR. There's always freshly brewed coffee there, and, at least with the OR personnel, I can let my hair down. I skipped it down the stairs and sauntered through the slick automatic sliding doors. When I was approaching the whiteboard with a weekly operative schedule, I heard some voices coming from the coffee break room. For some strange reason, I slowed my pace. At this stage, I could only recognize the anesthesiologist's voice. I heard a nurse say, But he doesn't even know what spasmophilia is. The anesthesiologist started to say, Well, it's not like... But he was interrupted. And did you notice how he was about to stitch up the skin with Dr. Hoshi? Another female voice said. He doesn't even know what a birch is, one nurse said. He had the gall to ask me himself. I couldn't believe it. He did? The second nurse said. I knew there was something fishy when he asked me what boin was. You should hear what the midwives are saying. He asks the most elementary questions. I stopped and closed my eyes. I put a hand on the door jamb to keep me steady. How did they expect me to learn if I didn't ask questions? Wasn't I supposed to? I opened my eyes. Well, I won't then, I swore to myself. But, like a New Year's resolution, mine didn't last long. Stubborn as I am, that episode was not enough to burn into my skin the most basic of French axioms. Act like you know everything and never ask questions. Eh bien voilà, mes amis, c'est tout pour aujourd'hui. That's it for today, my friends. Join me for our next show of The Secret Diaries of a Gay Gynecologist in Paris, a memoir by Rafael Herrero, MD, PhD. Contact me at Rafael Herrero, R-A-F-A-E-L dot H-E-R-R-E-R-O dot S-F, like in San Francisco, at gmail.com. Au revoir, à la semaine prochaine, et vive Paris! If you liked today's episode, would you please like my Facebook page? Search for A Gay Gynecologist in Paris. And follow me as well on Twitter at Gay Gyno Paris with no spaces between the words and share with me all your thoughts. Thank you and see you next week. Salut, mes amis. Ici, le gynécologue gay de Paris, the gay gynecologist in Paris. Suivez-moi sur Facebook. Vous pouvez me trouver sous Gay Gynecologist Paris. Faites-moi un like, s'il vous plaît. Vous pouvez me suivre aussi sur Twitter, at Gay Gyno Paris. Ça s'appelle J-A-Y-J-Y-N-O, Paris comme la ville P-A-R-I-S. Répondions le bonheur et soyons tous amis sur Facebook and Twitter. Au revoir, beaucoup de bisous et à bientôt.
Hola amigos, aquí me tenéis el ginecólogo gay de París, The Gay Gynecologist in Paris. Me podéis seguir en Facebook, es más, os pido que me sigáis en Facebook. Buscadme bajo Gay Gynecologist Paris. Hacedme un like y seamos amiguitos. Además, seguidme por favor en Twitter. Estoy bajo Gay Gyno Paris, que se escribe G-A-Y-G-Y-N-O-P. A-R-I-S, como París. Seamos amigos todos en todos los sitios web. Y os mando a todos muchos besitos. ¡Hasta luego! Y ahí, galera. Aquí es el ginecologista gay de París. The Gay Gynecologist in Paris. Curtam minha página no Facebook, Gay Gynecologist Paris. Vocês podem também me seguir no Twitter... No Gay Gyno Paris, soletrando G-A-Y-G-Y-N-O-P-A-R-I-S. Não seria divertido sermos todos amigos no Facebook e no Twitter? Até mais! Hallo, Freunde! Hier ist der schwule Frauenarzt aus Paris, the Gay Gynecologist in Paris. Ihr könnt mich auf Facebook klicken unter Gay Gynecologist Paris oder folgt mir auf Twitter. Unter Gay Gino Paris. Buchstabiere G-A-Y-G-Y-N-O-P-A-R-I-S. Es wäre toll, wenn wir alle Facebook- und Twitter-Freunde würden. Tschüss und bis bald. Contact me at Gay Gynecologist Paris. Three words. Altogether, no spaces. Gay Gynecologist Paris at gmail.com. Maybe it was all too much, too much for a man to take.